yeah. weird being back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I was born at Mad River Hospital, but. Oh, wow. Yeah. I definitely didn't think I would ever move back here, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. I dug into you a little bit and it sounded like you bounced around through Canada, Venezuela, mm-hmm. the Alps. France, I mean, you've, yeah. you've been around. I guess so. Sounds so pretentious. <laughs> I've kind of been everywhere. And then you're like, yeah, now I'm back in Eureka. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't hate it. It's great. But I wish it was like a tiny bit closer to San Francisco. You like San Fran more? Yeah. I lived there for nine years. Okay. All for your writing work or bounced around through various other jobs? No. So the writing, I've been writing forever, but the official writing, like the actually having the agent thing is three months old or something i've been trying for ages i finally finally got to that point so now i'm like crossing my fingers for a publishing deal <laughs> so i've read that you you've worked on three finished books and it was your third one that got you the agent and now you're working on your fourth yes but the third one is still in revisions because basically you're never done revising when you have a book out like <laughs> every step includes like rewriting the whole thing so yeah and is that will that one be published? I hope so. So once you have an agent, uh, they basically try and pitch it to different publishers. Um, and yeah, you could just end up right back at the beginning again if nobody wants it. But at least you have an agent and you can try with another book. Um, yeah, so it depends if she's able to find me a deal, which I hope she will. <laughs> is getting an agent the hardest part or is it then moving on and getting somebody to actually publish it? Oh, God, every step is the hardest part. <laughs> It gets harder and harder it's like and harder. I'll fight every time. uphill the whole way. Yeah. Getting an agent is hard. Like I definitely tried for I queer so querying is when you're like putting your book out there and pitching it to agents. So I did that with my last book and never got anywhere. I sent it out probably like 150 times or something. This one I sent out I think 63 times before I finally got a positive response. So yeah, it's uh That's promising. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> and the first two books or the first book did you do anything with that one no i thought it was amazing at the time uh it really wasn't i've read it again since then and i'm like wow that's so embarrassing i'm like humiliated that i showed anybody <laughs> so i've improved which is good and you write fantasy books yes it's not like swords and dragons it's I call it low fantasy, so it's like stuff that takes place in our world, but elements of magic involved. Okay, I was thinking the dragons. More, I mean, I'm not mystic. saying there'll never be a dragon, but so far, no. <laughs> Can you say what this book is about? Your third one? Yeah. Uh, so the one that my agent has right now that I just turned in my revisions, but there'll probably be another round. It's called Cafe Euphoria, and it's basically about a woman who's in a kind of an abusive relationship, but she finds a magical cafe and sort of learns how to escape through that haven't found the amazing way to pitch that yet but you know (laughs) and how did you get into writing uh god i've always always just dabbled because you went to school for it right you got your masters for my masters yeah i mean every writer you ever talk to is like i've been writing since before i could speak and uh, i'm gonna be a totally cliche and like say the same thing but yeah i mean i always wrote stories and I like making shit up. Did you I know swear? that? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Everything goes. I do. <laughs> Did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. Um, I think a 
part of me assumed that I would have a more realistic idea at some point and it never happened. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us find ourselves in that spot. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll figure it out. And then you're just doing this other thing. You're like, I guess this is just the road that I'm on. It's got to work out. I mean, if someone could just throw money at me for being awesome, that, that would, would be, be great. great. Yeah. I think we would all sign up for that. I would be super into that. But so far, no one has offered. So still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> got to just tough it out. Yeah. Keep writing. Do you get, is it a grueling process? I, I've obviously never tried to write a book, but I would imagine it's a, it's an ordeal trying to get there. It's a major head fuck, but uh, obviously I must like it because I keep putting myself through it every time. Glutton for uh, punishment. <laughs> it's, yeah, you get yourself stuck in these crazy hypothetical puzzles that you have to figure out your way out of because like, spoiler alert, when you write a book, you also have to end the book. Like, it has to have a resolution, and you're like, well, crap, I made this, like, intense situation, and now I don't know how to get out of it. So, yeah, it's a lot of problem solving, but, like, obviously, if something's not worked, scrap it and start over, change something. Yeah. Is it hard giving up on something? If you're, if you're writing it, and you're putting in this time, and you realize, maybe this is not going to go where I want it to. Yes, but you don't have to give up forever, you know, like maybe. Put it on pause for a little while. Yeah, like maybe in a couple of years, you'll be like, oh my God, I know the solution of how to make it amazing. And you can go back and revise. Is that your process? Do you work on it for a little bit and then step away? Or do you try to go all the way through? Uh, I feel like I like to get at least to the end of a draft before I step away, which is a lie for the last thing I worked on. But usually, yeah. <laughs> what does a draft look like in comparison to the actual book? Um, like significantly shorter, like 20%? Uh, it's not necessarily even about length. It's just like what happens will change. Just like the rough storyline of where you're going. Yeah, like a lot of times I'll realize like when I've gotten significantly far in, like, oh, like that character should have been doing this thing all along and that changes everything that comes after that. But I mean, yeah, you just have to accept that things are going to change. Is I mean, I guess you only have yourself to blame if that happens, but uh, you have to be flexible. So there's a lot of similarities between writing and improv in that way. And I would imagine rejection's a big part of both of yeah. those. Yeah. Well, not improv, because actually improv is super, super, uh, what's the word, empowering, because you say something on stage, everyone has to go with it. Like, so you can't be wrong. Uh, whereas with writing, yeah, 100% so much rejection. Like, you're just sending it out and. Yeah, I would imagine, is it worse getting the no back or just getting ghosted when you send something out? Oh, they're both pretty terrible. I think it's worth getting ghosted because you still have that slimmer of, sliver maybe of Maybe they hope. didn't get it. Yeah, like, oh, maybe they'll read it like a year from now and realize it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I <laughs> usually you'll get like a form response from agents that's just like, oh, no, thanks. This isn't what I'm looking for right now. But they try to be encouraging, like, keep trying. There's, you know, this is all subjective. There's something out there for everyone. One time I got, like, the harshest one ever. It was literally one line. They were like, no, thanks. <laughs> Not even, like, dear Laura or anything. No just thanks. no thanks. No yeah. header, just nothing. Yeah. That's a tough one to bounce back like, from. Okay. I think I would have preferred to be ghosted than that one. <laughs> yeah. You don't have anything nice to say. Maybe don't send. Yeah. I. It is super subjective, though, right? Like, some people are like, oh, I only read erotica about vampires. And then some people are like, I only need really serious biographies about your life story. I don't know. Yeah. People have just different tastes. And 
finding the person who's into the thing that you write and also has the bandwidth to take on a new project and all these factors. It's a, it's a gamble. And is it hard finding a, an agent that gets that vision of your book? They'd probably be as niched as who's publishing what, right? Yeah. So yeah, pretty much at every step, like you've got to find the one person who sees your project and is like, I feel strongly about this. This is for me. Like, uh, yeah. So that's almost with everything nowadays because markets are so saturated across the board. You just have to manage to carve out your niche and find your people. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thing too, is when you're pitching a book, you have to have comp titles, which is other books that are similar to your book, but not too similar because then they're like, that already exists, but similar enough that the agent or the publishers know like how it would sell and where they should place it on the market. But you can't choose someone that's or something that's too much of a bestseller because then that's like unrealistic. You can't say like, I'm going to be the next Harry Potter because they're like, yeah, right. But then if you choose something that no one's read, they're like, well, I've never heard of it. So that means nothing to me. So, yeah, pitching in general is just a rough fight. <laughs> and improv is actually how we were talking a little bit before the podcast. That's how I came across you was that no exit you guys are doing or the exit theater. The exit theater. Exit theater. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking no exit. Who did that? Jean Paul. <laughs> Sorry, that's a play. That's a different thing. But well, this exit has an exit. This yeah. exit has an exit. Uh, it's crazy how I found that theater because they're so recently they closed their San Francisco branch, and um, I had no idea there was another one in Arcata, my hometown. So like I'm like hanging around the plaza doing something. I think I was window shopping or whatever, and I see this big sign that says the exit in the same like font, the same logo as the one that I used to perform at, like. 10 years ago in San Francisco and I'm like wait what like that tiny indie theater in the Tenderloin like no way there's a branch in Arcata so I like messaged her and she was like yeah yeah it's the same one uh so that was crazy because it's like really like the tiniest little theater you ever saw the one in San Francisco which is now closed but I didn't even know there was one in San Francisco well there isn't anymore but that's like as of a month ago unfortunately it was around for like 30 years or something same owner yep Mm-hmm. She moved up to Arcata and decided to start another theater. So, oh wow, yeah, she's awesome. She was like, I asked her, you know, oh, do you have someone who does improv? And she was like, are you interested? I was like, yes, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> How did you get into improv? Uh, so I always wanted to do theater when I was like little, like in high school and stuff. But I was painfully shy. Uh, and I would go to like auditions for like the school play and chicken out at the last minute. And then uh, one time someone was like, you sure you don't want to paint sets? And I was just like, oh, I want to act. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I was just super, super shy. And uh, it took me forever to discover improv. Uh, like, yeah, after undergrad, I was in San Francisco. I was like, maybe I should try theater again. But I want something low commitment. I don't want to have to like rehearse and which is ridiculous because when you do improv, you have to rehearse all the time, which a lot of people don't realize. Uh, So, yeah, I just signed up for a class and got the improv bug. Like it's people say improv is a total cult because like once you start, you're like, this is the best thing ever. And you try and recruit everyone and you're always playing these weird, like silly games. and People are like. I didn't know you had to rehearse for improv. I always thought it was just on the spot. It is on the spot, but you want to rehearse the skills um, because you would think that there are no rules, but there are. Uh, 
And they're not hard and fast rules, but in order to play successfully in a way that's going to be satisfying for people to watch and for you to like be able to build a scene that goes anywhere, uh, it's good to have those skills like uh, trusting your scene partner. Um, of course, I'm drawing a blank, but yeah, there are a lot of skills. Just secret techniques of the trade. Yeah. Yeah. Is it hard trusting the people that are on stage with you? I think it's, uh, I think there are benefits to playing with people you've never played with before because it's fun and you never know what's going to happen. But it's also really great to work with people that you've been playing with for ages. Say you're on a troop together or something because you can always anticipate where they're going to go. Uh, you can pimp each other out, quote unquote, <laughs> like when you're like, oh, this person is really like, or has trouble with this skill. So I'm going to like tease them and make them do, I'm going to make them sing or something. You know, you conjure a situation where you sort of, throw them into the headlights i don't know it's fun to mess with people but. that'd be a good way to set up a friend it's like okay this next scene we're gonna just go in yeah yeah like if i walk into a room and i'm like oh oh my god it's the famous opera singer please give me a demonstration and like they can't say no that would destroy the reality of the scene you yes and is the number one rule of improv right you have to agree with the situation and then add to it so that you're building a scene together so, like, if you're like, uh, I'm not an, uh, an opera singer, then that destroys the reality of the scene. Do you guys go in when you start a show with an idea of how you want it to start? Or mm -hmm. do you take feedback from the audience of, hey, shoot us an idea? Yeah, so usually you'll come out and you'll ask for a suggestion of some sort. Uh, it could be like, give me a word of inspiration. Uh, or it could be like, uh, tell me about a dream you once have. Like, sometimes people will pull an audience member onto the stage and interview them about, like, their love life or something. Um, and then, uh, there's, so one mistake that people often make when they're first starting out is like, say you're like, okay, could I get a word of, uh, inspiration please? And the person's like elephant. And then the improvisers are like, okay, every scene has to be about an elephant, which can get old really fast. So basically the idea is just take inspiration from it. You know, maybe you think elephant, uh, Africa, and then like, Maybe you have a scene that like someone's going to Africa, but they lost their passport. Like it could just be random tangents going off of one idea. And are you guys weaving multiple scenes together? Or how do you know when a scene is done? Just when you guys run out of things to play so off? So you look for something called the button, which is like a really strong ending. Um, and so there are different ways to edit a scene, which is just like to cut it off. Um, there's the shark edit where you just like run past everyone with your arm out and everyone knows, okay, that means sweep the scene and start over. Um, and somebody's doing that on stage, just yeah, running across the stage? it could okay. be someone off stage or like on the side who's not in this particular scene. It could be someone in the scene. You could tag someone out and be like, okay, this is still the same scene, but now that character's leaving and I'm going to go in and be a different character. Um, but yeah, basically you look for a line that hopefully gets a laugh and then... Uh, where going beyond that point would just be sort of an anti-climax. You look for a high point to cut it off at, which Are, is not always the easiest. Not skill. always possible, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it drags on a little bit. That's improv. You can't predict what's going to happen, but it's so fun. Are you trying to drag it on for a certain length? Is that part of the skill is to just carry out a scene? I don't think so. I think scenes just sort of the length depends, right? Sometimes you'll get to the point of it really quickly. Uh, one thing you do want to do when you're in an improv scene is like set the stage really quickly. So you want uh, the who, what, where people call it. So establish who's in the scene as soon as possible, maybe even in the first line. Like what's the relationship between the two people 
So if I'm like, grandma, my leg's broken, obviously that person is now my grandma <laughs> and I'm their grandchild. So that's the who, the what, what's the situation in that case? My leg is broken, pretty clear. And then where like you'd want to hopefully be able really quickly to establish like, and we're in a Walmart. But uh, sometimes you can make that pretty obvious. Like sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's clear where you are from context, but uh, it's also okay to drop an obvious bomb, which is just like being really, really clear about where you are, even if it's a little bit awkward, like at least then everyone knows what's happening. Yeah, because you want the audience obviously to be clued in. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to lose them really fast. Yeah, if you're spending the whole time like kind of being wishy-washy and like, I think that person's my brother, but I'm not a hundred, they might also be my boyfriend. I don't know. Like then like the audience is just as confused as you are and they're going to be like, yeah. Is it time to go yet? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) How long is the show again? How long are the shows? It depends. Uh, A lot of the shows I've been in, there'll be like a couple of sets, like there'll be like a one troop goes on for 20 minutes and then there's a break and then another troop goes on and then there's a finisher who are like more experienced people or something. It Yeah, it depends. Um, but for one troop, I don't know, I guess 15, 20 minutes, 30 might be a bit long, but possible. And how many scenes are you doing in that? It depends. Yeah, it could be. It just depends on if you can hit that button or not. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, And they might be related. You might come back to some scenes at some point. Uh, Because one important distinction to know about, if you don't know anything about improv, is that there's two main types. There's long form and short form. What I like to do is long form, which is like you're creating a story, right? Um, And even if like the scenes don't always come back, like there should be sort of a narrative happening, whereas short form, you're playing games. Like if you've seen whose line is it anyways, uh, it's like now we're doing this game and now we're doing that game. And that's fun, too. I often do those things for warm ups, but it's like a whole different kind of a show. I didn't know there were two kinds of yeah. improv. Yeah. I'd never heard that. Now you know. Now I know. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so games really just participatory games, like you're actually playing some game on stage. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some shows that are like that. Uh, maybe it's a rhyming game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those significantly shorter. That's why there's the yes. short form ones. Yeah, so you would probably have multiple ones of those. Um, but, yeah, they make, even if you're if you're uh, a long-form improviser, those are really good warm-ups because they practice the same skills, um, like spontaneity and thinking on your feet. and All crucial. Yeah, yeah. I've only ever come across improv i took a theater class in college oh cool and we did improv as warm-ups yeah, that would yeah. Be one of our warm-up exercises we somebody would set a scene and we just go into it until yeah. i guess That's you could thing. say it hit the button but normally it would just die out and people <laughs> lose interest and then we go on to the next exercise i mean that also happens it's uh yeah i don't know if you watch a lot of uh i don't know in sitcoms and popular culture like people like to make fun of improv a lot uh, and it's true that like sometimes it's bad improv. What can you do? Like you can't predict what's going to happen. Sometimes it's not your best day. You don't know, you know, you're not really feeling it. But like that's kind of the beauty of improv is like you get what you get and it's you can't predict it and you're just in the moment. And if you're really in the moment, I would argue that usually it's going to be good because you're just like not thinking about would that be funny if I said this? And oh, wait, did would that make sense if I said this? Like and you're just responding organically, like, I think that tends to be the most successful way to do it. Is that the hardest part in training people is to get them out of their head? And yes, into the scene? I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's really hard. And like I talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, I could never do improv. Like I'm just like, I'm not funny. And I'm like, well, first of all, improv doesn't have to equal comedy. Like it's just making up a play. It could be dramatic. It could be about someone's divorce. You know, like people think that it's always comedy, but that's not necessarily true. Obviously, if you're an audience member and you expect it to be comedy and you go and it's like about somebody dying of a terrible disease, like you might be a little disappointed. So maybe get your expectations set before you go. But uh, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> just pulling people out of their head. That was the hardest thing in our acting class. Yeah. Was just getting people into the scene because everyone yeah. gets, especially if you're around a group of people that don't know each other, everyone's super self-conscious. For sure. They don't want to fully lean in and make themselves look like a fool and I think it's super obvious if you're trying too hard to be funny like the whole point of improv is it's funny because it comes out of nowhere you know it's funny because it's random it's funny because it's spontaneous so like if you're trying really hard to make it funny then it's not gonna be funny. that's my opinion it has the reverse effect yeah when you start trying too hard it's yeah like have you seen bad stand-up ever like you can tell when they're just sweating bullets, like, please laugh. Please laugh. I swear I'm funny. I, I'm, I'm setting out my childhood trauma for you to laugh at, please. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> I think of the one person that's, when you go to sing karaoke, the one person that's out there just really trying to sell it like they're this perfect <laughs> singer. It's, it's I won't just, lie. That's been me before. Yeah, it's but, just uh, rough. You're sitting yeah. in the audience. You're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But. On the other hand, ultimately, like, any sort of performance, oh, maybe that's not true. I'll just keep it to improv. Like, as long as you're having fun, everyone else will have fun. Like, you can tell when somebody's having fun, and it really just brings the energy out, you know, and that transmits to the audience. So, uh, yeah, hopefully your scene partner is also having fun. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, maybe you're doing something wrong, but... Yeah, you have to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. It's easy, it translates everyone around you if you do yeah to go back to so you were saying is it harder to play with people you don't know or people that you do know one thing is like you should be aware of other people's boundaries when you're playing with them right like you don't want to necessarily go into a scene with somebody and like start like pulling them across the stage and what if they have like an arm thing you know like or like oh you instantly make the scene about like cancer or something and like their uncle just died or whatever so I think it is good to know a bit about the people you're playing with because it can be horrible to be like pulled out of the moment by something you weren't expecting that's like hard for you to like deal with in front of an audience so I think if you're playing with people you've never met before it's good to have a little chat beforehand of like any subjects we should absolutely avoid is that what you <laughs> teach in your classes uh, I tried to with that yeah, yeah, I try to. And so up until now at the Exit Theater, I've just been doing like free monthly classes. But now that I'm going to be doing a six week course, it'll be interesting because it'll be the same people every time for six weeks. And I'm hoping that they'll be able to like bond and sort of come up with a cohesive way to play together, you know, because it's it's different when you've. When you've uh played with the same people a couple of times. Yeah, and a big transition from just dropping in and doing it occasionally to now we're doing this intensive course where you're going to stick with it yeah. for a period of time. And there's a performance at the end, so I'm like... In front, at, at the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be March. The... Uh, what number is it? Uh, a Saturday. First Saturday in March. I feel like that's like the 6th or 7th. I don't know. 
so yeah, so the people who and it's a uh, it's open to all levels. So some people will be beginners. Maybe some people already have experience. But uh, yeah, the idea is to get them basically ready to do an improv show at the end. Get them ready for that stage time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll have like a lot of scenes towards the end of the like first. I think we'll practice like individual skills. And then we'll build up to doing scenes and I'll do some like side coaching, like, okay, now try it that way kind of thing. Do you ever turn any of these into skits? If you go up and do improv and you really like the way a scene went, People does that do. translate? Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of having my little notebook and being like, this would make a really funny short story. <laughs> well, I imagine because you guys are just burning through a ton of ideas all the yeah. time. I would imagine some of those really hit, especially for the audience and you'd think. Oh, maybe we should yeah, come for back sure. to that. I mean, a lot of comedy schools that that do improv also do sketch writing, right? And some people do use that for, like, generating ideas. Likewise, when I'm writing, improv is super helpful to me because I, like, can imagine that I'm in the scene and be like, okay, if someone said this to me, how would I respond? And if that doesn't work, well, how would I respond a different way? And it's it's like being in a scene, right? You imagine the character throwing a line at you and you have to answer. Uh, so it adds spontaneity to it, too. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That probably translates pretty well into your writing. Either way, um, you're making shit up, which is what I like to do. So, <laughs> Not a bad way to make a living. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't. But Well, eventually. <laughs> Ideally, <laughs> one right? One day, though. Yeah. The goal is one day. Yeah. Yeah. No, unfortunately, I have a day job. Not that I don't like my day job. Just saying. What do you do? What's your day job? <gasps> I write content for a, for a website. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Still writing in the same realm. <laughs> yeah. Is writing like news commentary or? It's like educational content for like random topics. Uh, it's for ESL learners. So basically just like different topics like simplified with vocabulary words and comprehension questions like educational materials. How'd yeah. you get involved in that? Uh, I used to be an ESL teacher. ESL, not ASL. So English is a second language, not, not American sign language. Sign language. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes don't enunciate, and people are like, wow, that's amazing. You speak sign language. I'm like, no. Can you sign for me? <laughs> I wish, but no. I know the alphabet, I think. Yeah. What made you want to do that? Uh, Well, so it's kind of related to how I've lived in a lot of places. I just love traveling, um, and I love hanging out with international people, so... Just I, yeah, I got to I got to hang out with them all day when I was teaching them. Uh, it was adults, which I really liked, yeah. Probably a little easier than working with kids, too. I think so. I don't have a whole lot of experience with kids, but I feel like I might not have the patience. <laughs> Although the creative aspect might translate well. Yeah. they're a little more creative than most adults. Yeah. Actually, that's uh, that's definitely something. Like, a, a lot of adults will say, oh, I'm not creative. And I think that's so sad because everyone is creative, and I, like, really believe that. Uh, so a lot of times, yeah, I would be in my classes, like, and I do like a creative assignment because that's the kind of thing I like to do. And I would have to like convince them, no, your ideas are good. Just believe in them. Yeah. People get jaded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's great about improv. It's like you're literally playing like it's playtime for adults is I mean, kids can do improv, too, but I teach adults. So, yeah, I think people need to play. People I think need they'd to be happier if they played. Yeah, they just cut exactly. loose every now and then. Uh, improv is so good for mental health. Like, yeah, it's just like it gets you out of your head. It gets you being creative without having to have like supplies and setting aside like the time to do the creative thing and overthinking it. Like, 
it's just like the most spontaneous thing which like i think a lot of people need that do you think everyone can do improv yes well i answered you instantly and then i was like do i want to backtrack no i don't think so i think everyone can do improv yeah i've even like i've uh seen people do improv in a language that isn't their native language like it's you know, what's really great about improv is that you're encouraged to be supportive of everyone that you're playing with. And so as long as people are playing by those rules, like you're never going to be like left out or like told like, no, your idea is stupid. Right. Because then they're the asshole. And they're doing it wrong. Basically, I, I can't remember who said this, but the uh, one of my teachers that I had said, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole, which I think is awesome advice in improv. It's like you're not having fun try harder <laughs> well just in life too yeah the yeah. one sitting on the sideline complaining about everything there might be you might need a mirror to look in yeah yeah i think so <laughs> yeah i only ask that because it's one of those things where everyone thinks oh yeah i could do comedy and then they get up there and they're like oh this is not what i thought it was gonna be i didn't know if that was translated in the same way where you kind of need something to do improv uh, like a specific skill or specific skill maybe a certain inclination I mean, even to just get up on stage and beat your stage fright. Oh, okay. I mean, you shouldn't do improv if you don't want to. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, stage fright is something that you get over. Like, I still get it once in a while, and I've been doing improv for like 10 years. But um, the you more push you push through it pretty quick. Yeah, the more you do it. And also, the thing is, like, everyone on stage is in the same situation as you. It's not like you're standing naked in front of an audience like that reoccurring dream that people have apparently i've never had it um you know like everyone's everyone's there just like on the spot together so you know you're not alone <laughs> there's that community aspect where you guys really have you gotta rely on them because yeah you guys are just rolling with the punches up there together yeah what's really great about it is like it's it's it sounds funny to say because you're up there playing characters and stuff, but I think people are most themselves when improvising because there's no filter. You're just you're just responding the quickest way that you can, like the most organic way that you can. So, like, you can't put up a front and pretend to be someone way cooler than you actually are. And like, obviously, everyone is cooler when they're being themselves. So I just personally think that improvisers are like the best people ever. They're just, like, joyful and fun and inclusive. Yeah. Well, like we were saying, it pulls you out of your head yeah. by necessity. In order yeah. to do it or at least do it well, you have to just be present. And yeah. You can't do that while worrying about, how do I look? Or yeah. Am I doing this right? Am I moving okay? Totally. I mean, obviously, because it's so spontaneous, you could find yourself saying something that you didn't want to say. And then, like, it happens. Like, we get over it. Like... Say you're a uh, you're playing a character who says controversial things, and then you go too far, and then you're like, "Oh no! Everyone in the audience is gonna think that's what I think, and not my character." But like, just move on. People will forget. You know, it's yeah. There's no rehearsal for improv, so what happens happens, and you just accept it and move on. Does that happen where a scene gets maybe controversial or? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened too much when I've been around luckily not like i you know have been monitoring mod blah, blah, blah. what's the word monitoring <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's happened before that like or like maybe like a guy says something sexist and they didn't realize it and then afterwards everyone calls them out 
uh, oh, one time I was playing a Southerner. I was, I forget, I was some Southern lady and uh, I was like, oh, this is going great. I'm just being a Southern lady doing this thing. I don't remember what the situation was. And afterwards, uh, I think it was an audience member was like, you cannot do a black accent like that. That is not okay. And I was like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't imitating a black person. I was, I thought I was being Southern. <laughs> Uh, but I felt really like, oh, God, did I do something terrible without realizing, you know, which like my intention obviously was not to portray like another person. But it was just an awkward moment. And then I explained, well, that's not what my intention was. But like, I'm sorry. <laughs> then yeah. you just work through it. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Things like that happen. Well, when you're dealing with an audience. And it's not, you might be able to know, okay, where do I stand with my group up here? And like, who's triggered by what maybe, and where should we stay away from? But then you bring in this group of people who. Yeah, they don't just, know you. Yeah. And they mm -hmm. don't know what you're about and they don't know where you come from. And you guys are just up there rolling with yeah. punches again. And sometimes they don't even know like really what improv is. So they're yeah, expecting how many people just walk thing. in. They're like, oh, improv show and just go in there. Yeah. I mean, it happens. And. Like I said, there's sometimes improv, it doesn't go well, and that's just life, you know? And sometimes it's amazingly hilarious, and you're still thinking about the same scenes for weeks on end because they were that funny. Just, yeah, you you can't predict who's going to be sitting there watching you. You can only do your best. So Is it weird performing in front of people? Uh, yes. Yeah. But good weird. <laughs> do you get used to it, or is it still kind of the same shock when you walk up on stage and you see and you're out there and people are there to see you guys. Uh, I think everyone like has a little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are people who are like so amazingly confident that they never get stage fright. Uh, I would like to be that one day. <laughs> no, I still get stage fright and like, it's always going to be, and yeah, just there's so many different elements that you have to balance and everything can affect something else. Yeah. Doing public things has always been weird to me. Yeah. Even with this. But it, <laughs> at least with this, there's a degree of separation. Right. It's just us three in this room. Right. And all the people behind that screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I can, you can separate yourself from them because I'm only looking at you and I'm only talking to you. Right, right. And then it's after the fact that it's like, okay, now other people are actually engaging in this. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys are up there and you're getting live feedback from the audience. You're getting laughs or people are sitting or there. Or not laughs. Dead hand. Yeah. <laughs> and they're looking at you guys like, okay, be funny or okay, do something yeah. that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit nerve wracking. But the other thing I didn't mention is like once you get a little better at improv, like I feel like other elements of your life become easier, like job interviews. Like if you can say stupid things on a stage in front of people, like you can totally bullshit your way through a job interview. <laughs> I'm not saying you should lie on your resume. Uh, but like, you know what I mean? Like uh, if you have to do um, presentations at work, if you have a job where you have to do presentations, like that becomes suddenly so much easier. Like teaching, even like even teaching outside of the context of improv, like teaching ESL students, which I used to do, like it was so much easier since I had improv experience. Do you think that just comes from the confidence boost of it, of doing it? Yeah. And like, yeah, the whole mentality of like things can go wrong and that's okay. You know, I think it's good for people to do things that get them out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Is the key. Yeah. Do things that scare you. That's a, uh, Literally, so I attend an improv camp uh, a couple times a year, and uh, 
there's a new t-shirt that comes out every time there's a new camp and one of them literally says follow the fear which uh is i think great advice i mean maybe don't jump off a cliff but yeah that's a different kind of fear <laughs> i think we could agree on that yeah but yeah. push yourself and yeah. push your boundaries yeah, because if you're afraid of something, there's got to be a reason that you're afraid of that, right? So you should maybe work to overcome it, and that'll make you a better, more well-rounded person, I think. Well, and the alternative is you never go up against that boundary, and then it's just always there. Yeah. You never at least try to break through it. And yeah. You're always worried about speaking in public, or you're always worried about job interviews. Yeah, exactly. You, you never get the chance to overcome that. Yeah, yeah. And who knows? Maybe you're amazing at something, but you have no idea because you never tried. Improv camp. Yeah. Is that like band camp? What? <laughs> it's uh, it's like summer camp, but for adults, and it's amazing. Yeah, like you literally have like camp activities, like archery and axe throwing and stuff. But then you have improv workshops with like different well-known teachers from all over the country. Sometimes you know different parts of the world. Um, and yeah, it's just like my happy place. It's so great. <laughs> is improv if you get into a big troupe? Is it pretty? self-sustaining like that could be a career that you go down is just doing. Uh, i think that's pretty rare yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i think it's more passion project yeah or yeah i mean maybe if you live in like hollywood or you know some some people in new york maybe but like not yeah not usually it's pretty rare <laughs> is that just there's not a big enough market for it because theater you could work at a small theater company and you could get by right yeah i guess so yeah but improv's not quite there yet. I mean, there are improv theaters and they, you know, people make a decent living. But I think if you're just like a person who says, I'm going to be an improviser and now I want that to be my career, like you're going to have to work for many, many, many years to get to a point where people are going to like pay you enough that you can pay your rent. <laughs> it's a longer path. I would say so. Yeah. Do a lot of them do theater and acting gigs on the side? It kind of depends where you are, I think. Um Definitely a lot of people that I know from SoCal, they'll like, they'll do auditions and they'll be like, oh, I'm in a commercial this month, but I also have my regular improv troupe and stuff like that. Maybe in Humboldt County, a little bit less. It'd be harder to do up here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely people who do local productions and also enjoy improv, but I think it's less, uh, less like career actors. And I don't know. I know we have the North Coast Repertory Theater. I don't know. Do they pay? Or is that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, no yeah it's a good question i yeah i need to look up some uh some of the scene i've so that's the whole reason that i started uh my improv classes when i got here is like i like i said i was living in san francisco for the past nine years minus a stint in arizona which is random um <laughs> and like i love improv and it's a huge part of my life and i got here and i was like there's no community what am i gonna do like how am I going to get my improv fixed? So I was like, all right, I guess I'm starting something. Yeah. Had you taught prior to coming up here or coming back here? Um, I've taught, uh, I've taught improv like one-off workshops to like people who aren't improvisers necessarily. Like for example, ESL students or like I do like a, an improv workshop for the other teachers at the school I was teaching at. Um, but this is the first time that I've actually just like, taught workshops and classes from my own i wouldn't say i have a company but <laughs> from yeah is would that be a goal is to build I would a troop up here yeah i would love that so honestly like as much as i love teaching i just want to play 
So I would love to be able to gather some people who have a little bit of experience and be able to do shows in addition to teaching, you know, because I do love teaching and it's really, really exciting to see students like catch that improv bug and get that spark in their eyes of like, oh, my God, this is amazing. How didn't I discover this before? Um, But I also really just want to like play, you know. So, yeah, that would be awesome. That childhood spirit of play. Yeah. I think it's an interesting idea nowadays because we're all. Or at least me, I'm I'm work yeah. focused twenty four seven. Is you're just you're working. Yeah, you're trying to build something for the future. So the idea of playing now is almost a foreign concept. Yeah, and people are like, well, why would I spend money? Why would I spend time doing that when it's not going to like bring me any like monetary benefit? But like, it brings you other benefits, you know, which I think are super important as well. Like happiness is a benefit. I would think so. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> Life gets a little bland if you're. If you're excluding that aspect from your life. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to judge anybody's lifestyle, but I feel a little sad when people are like, I don't have hobbies. I just watch Netflix and go to work. And I'm like, no, do something that makes your heart sing. (laughs) I think a lot of people are in that boat. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously our modern society is not set up to like have time to just play for funsies. Um obviously like life is expensive and you got to spend time trying to pay bills like we all have that problem but i think people should prioritize doing things that really make them feel alive especially the hobby aspect yeah you can find something that you enjoy and even if you just do it a couple nights a week like pick up a paintbrush yeah or you play board games maybe that's your hobby is you really like totally. board games yeah do find something that brings a little bit of joy that yeah you can do and you don't have to spend money maybe your hobby is running Totally. Go for a run. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people say, like, you should do the thing that you loved doing when you were a kid, you know? So I feel like a lot of people just, like, sort of push that inner child aside. But, like... Well, you have to grow up. That's the idea. Yeah. You have to grow up. You got to get that. serious. Yeah, right? <laughs> you have to get serious. You have to find the career. Yeah. And, like, obviously, yes, those things are important. But I don't think you should... Uh, push that part of yourself aside completely you know because that's what makes you feel like it's worth living and that's what makes you interesting i would hope so yeah you have these things that you like to do nobody wants to talk to someone that's just like oh yeah i just i'm into spreadsheets yeah excel (laughs) is my favorite pastime like okay what no offense to anyone who's super into excel i'm sure i heard there was like competitive excelling i don't know i heard it on a podcast but Anyways. I'm going to have to look into that now. I don't know if that's a yeah. thing. Don't that's, ask me any follow-up questions because yeah, I don't that's know. That's <laughs> not my forte. The people that, to be fair, people that know Excel and can really work it is pretty impressive. I mean, I'm, I don't. So yeah, I just good type job in the box. Yeah, I don't know any of the shortcuts. <laughs> but competitive Excel, I mean. I might have made that up, but I don't think I did. I, it sounds reasonable <laughs> enough in today's day and age. I think Andy's looking it up. But yeah, there's this famous quote. I cannot think of who it's by, but it's, Find what you love and let it kill you. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a little extreme, but (laughs) I like the idea behind that is you just give give yourself to this thing that you enjoy. I'd rather die by improv than like having a boulder fall on my head. So When you put it like that, yeah. (laughs) If those are my options, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'll take the improv. Boulder or improv, I think I'll take improv. (laughs) Totally. Although some people are like, I'd rather die than get up on stage and do improv. But I would argue that they are wrong. Date fight is a really interesting thing because some people it's not an issue and others it Mm -hmm. is, it's the most terrifying thing is having to speak in front of a group of people. Yeah, I think it's kind of like what I was saying before. Like once you accept that you are who you are, you're not going to be 
trying to put on a front, trying to like put on a persona, like that's when people are going to connect with you the most, whether it's on stage or just like in a conversation, right? Like you're not pretending to have certain characteristics or trying to be cool. I think that's when people really appreciate like interacting with you or watching you on a stage. Do you think that's a lot of what it is, is people not wanting to feel like a fool or wanting to feel cool and therefore not do it? Because if you get up there on stage, you might mess up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think a fear of like doing something humiliating or. I've done a lot of that in my life. Humiliating Oh, yeah, just doing things and then (laughs) it turns out bad and you're like, I should not have done. And then people are around to see and you're like, yeah, well, that's what I was saying before, right? Like the early drafts of my novel that I was like, this is amazing. I'm such a great writer. I'm going to show everyone I know. And they're like, yeah, it was it's really original. And you're like, 10 years later, you're like, why did I show them that? Well, for you, for a writer, it's got to be hard because you are so heavily invested in this thing. You're pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And then to put that out there and just get nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it takes determination. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) And to stick with it, to say, okay, maybe this first book wasn't it, but my second one, and maybe not my second one, but like to keep that progression going and say, I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I'm going to keep like spewing quotes that I have no idea who they're attributed That's to. That's all I do but, on like, this podcast. <laughs> like, I don't know who originally said this, but I always hear like uh, a professional writer is an amateur who never gave up. Right. So like if you give up, you're just not going to get there. So like that's an easy way to weed out the people who maybe aren't strong enough. I don't know. Or and it's not a question of like, you know, oh, you're weak because you didn't like push yourself until the end. Like. Not everyone can be successful. Like, not everyone gets a publishing deal. I might not get one. I hope I do, but you can't predict what things are going to happen. Also, the publishing industry is, like, a hot mess. Like, things are worse every day. (laughs) Is that because nobody's buying print anymore? No, that's not even it. It's just, like, there are a lot of factors. There are strikes going on because people are underpaid and overworked. There are, like interns working for free who have to do everything and it's just like it's just like across the board if you look up anything about publishing it's like 99% gonna be bad news I didn't know that was going on right now yeah Harper Collins is doing a big strike I think they're on day like 53 or something like that um and there's it's publishing uh I don't even know if it's still called the big five there are literally five companies in the country that are like control all the other smaller ones uh so yeah sounds like the food industry where you just have these giant corporations that control everything else yeah maybe it's yeah so is it writers that are striking is it people that are working no it's uh it's (laughs) writers are like please just take us no it's like uh it's editors it's uh it's agents is it agents i might be lying about that it's editors it's like you know i think like typesetters and like uh uh, I'm drawing a blank. It's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that was going on. Did you find anything on that, Andy? Uh, looks like they're actually part of a union. Yeah, the union is striking. Yeah. They're asking for a $5,000 increase to starting salaries and basic union security rights. Oh. Do, do editors make a lot of money? Honestly, I have no idea. Um... 
I assume, Clearly not, I guess not enough if they're striking right now. That's probably a safe assumption. I think, I think, and I don't want to say anything dumb, but I think that the main people who make money in publishing are the people at the very top of the food chain. I think that's a safe bet. I think that's maybe even true for many industries, yeah, I unfortunately. Think that's across the board. Which, you know, people are doing some, like, they're working hard. They're working their their asses off. So I think they maybe deserve a bit more. If we don't want books to die, I think maybe we should pay people who work with books more. <laughs> do Where do writers actually rank on that food chain? Are they near the top or they... <laughs> no. <laughs> I used to think that once you get a publishing deal, you are famous. You're a household name. You can just quit your day job immediately. I was so naive. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I can't tell you in terms of numbers because people are not super transparent about it. But, like, basically, once you get a publishing deal, they're going to give you an advance. And hopefully your sales will make back that advance. Most likely not. And apparent, I think, so what I read is that most people who are mid-list, which is to say your book is like decently popular, but not super popular. It's not getting sent out in book boxes. It's not making the New York Times bestseller list. Those people, obviously, it's, it's unlikely that they're going to make back that advance that they were paid. But publishers are okay with that because they're betting on the bigger ones to make back all that money several times over. Does that make sense? So is the advance like a forward loan that they're just going to... Kind of. I don't think you have to pay it back. <laughs> but that <laughs> but might be the only amount of money you it get It could from your be, book. yeah. And if it is successful, you might get a reprint. And then I believe that you would get more money at that point but yeah people make more money in advances than they do in actual like royalties from copies sold as far as i know and you wouldn't get any of that royalty money unless you pay off the advance i first? think so i believe that's how it works i could be again completely lying to you right now but i'm pretty sure that's how it works it is publishing is a huge mystery like i've been doing research and trying to figure it all out for years and i'm still like very shaky about it yeah is that just because it's so hush hush a lot of it is, I think, um, a really great resource is, like, people that I know who are already published that, you know, because you can actually, like, be like, hey, would you mind telling me, like, in actual numbers, like, how much you made if you don't mind? But they're not going to be advertising that stuff on the internet for everyone to look at, you know? There's something romantic about being a writer. Yeah, I think, I think so. everybody thinks that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're like, oh, everyone's going to think I have these deep thoughts, uh, even if you write total garbage, which I sometimes do. <laughs> but just the idea that your words carry that much weight. Yeah. I mean, you're when you write words and someone else reads those words, your voice is literally going into their head. Like, it's kind of creepy, but kind of cool. You're kind of controlling their mind in a way. Kind you're of. You're them making them hallucinate. You're telling them what to hallucinate by describing stuff. It's awesome. And definitely a power trip. <laughs> I thought writers made more money. I've always had that idea of... I mean, some do. Like, yeah, obviously, J.K. Rowling. She's, yeah. Like, she's probably doing okay. I'm pretty sure she's doing okay. Yeah, like, take somebody, like, who's a household name, like Stephen King or something, compared to, like, some random person whose name is on the cover of something you just picked up off a shelf in a bookstore, like significant difference. <laughs> From you talking with your friends, does it sound like the advances are more just a means of getting by until that next book comes out? Not something you could really. I wouldn't even say it's off? a means of getting by. I don't know anyone who only 
writes. Like everyone I know who's a writer also has a day job unless their spouse supports them. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I know. Reality check. Damn. I, did not, <laughs> I would not have guessed that. I'm making myself depressed all over yeah, again right? with this. <laughs> but it's worth it because you get to put stories in people's heads. It's worth it because you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like you get to make up a story and make up people, you know, and have them do things. <laughs> Does anybody do any self-publishing? Is that a thing? Or that is definitely a thing. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a thing that a lot of people resort to because there are no gatekeepers, which is definitely an advantage. So, and uh, so there's good self-publishing and then the thing is there's no quality control, right? Like I could just bang something out in 10 minutes and put it on Amazon Kindle or whatever and have copies printed and like that's self-publishing. But also like I know plenty of people who like got an agent and worked really hard on their book and then things didn't really work out. Maybe they broke up with their agent and then they're like, well, you know what? This book is done. I'm going to self-publish it anyways. And, you know, it just it depends. So there's a whole range of quality, but it's do, definitely yeah. easier to do. Like anyone can do it. Obviously, there's going to be a learning curve to make it look professional and stuff. But yeah, so there's like pros and cons. I like the idea of no gatekeepers. Yeah. But then there is the idea that you could just write up something truly terrible and just yeah. start marketing the shit out of it. It could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, right? Like maybe you're an undiscovered genius and no one really gets you. But once you decide to distribute it to the masses everyone's like wow that person's amazing and i never would have found out because they're not what like marketers are looking for or whatever what the industry thought they wanted or on the other hand you know it could be the opposite situation <laughs> and it kind of depends on your following at that point too because if you have a big presence online oh yeah easier for you to market yes and uh guess what more bad news um <laughs> for traditional writers uh a lot of times you are expected to do your own marketing these days so and it depends like if they think you're going to be a huge success you might have a marketing team to do some work but you'd still be expecting as the author to do a large sum of it by yourself <laughs> so they're really just coming in for the publishing aspect. They're going to print the book for you and you need to do everything else. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's quite that extreme, but yeah, unfortunately, I'm pretty sure like everyone has to market themselves at least a little bit, even if you're like at the top. Do you get to negotiate your contract? Where If you're a new publisher and you've just, so you've just gotten your agent, say they pick up your book, mm -hmm. do you have any sway at that point or you need to be more established to say, I want this amount from royalties are from my book i think that's why you want to have a really good agent because they're going to be doing the negotiations for you because like it's complicated like there's all these different clauses and you know different different factors into what you'll be making and why and so you some people do apply uh do submit their manuscripts to publishers without an agent and like, yes, you would make more money that way because an agent will typically take 15% of what you make. Off the top. Off the top, yeah. But uh, it's a lot more likely you're going to get that far with an agent than without one. And not that many publishing houses accept unagented manuscripts. So, Is that just because it's the first layer of 
the quality game. control. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Because then at least you have somebody saying, okay, I think I believe in this enough to attach my name to exactly. it. Exactly. Like it. I've worked with that person before and I think they have good taste. So if they think that book's good, then it's more likely to be good than one that just ended up on my desk. Yeah. No, no one's just coming it. off the street. This is going to be the next great book. You yeah. Should, yeah. Sign me. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants their cut. Yeah. Everybody wants their cut. I think, yeah, agents work really hard, so I think they deserve their cut. Uh, but there are definitely people out there who maybe aren't, don't have like any certification or whatever, who are just like, oh, you have to, you have to run your book by an editor before it even gets to an agent. And I'm an editor and I charge this exorbitant amount. Uh, so people are scamming each other out there, I think. And sometimes, like, sometimes a manuscript can really benefit from being edited by an actual professional editor before going to an agent. But, like, that's a big expense that you shouldn't necessarily have to pay unless you really need it. Is an editor adding in their own flair in their critiques or is it more just phrasing and... and- I- word check yeah i i mean there are different types of editors too there's copy editing which is literally like the spelling and the grammar and whatnot and then there's develop i cannot say this word developmental editing develop developmental does that that sound right developmental yeah that's hard to say (laughs) um and they're the people who actually are gonna like go into your story and like they're not allowed to make changes without your approval but they could say, for example, like, this character's reaction didn't feel right to me. What if he did this instead? You know, and they would, like, make suggestions for how to make your story more cohesive. And then you would think about that and see how you can implement them. Sometimes it's a conversation. You would go back and forth, you know. And it probably varies depending on the editor, I would imagine. Yeah. How heavy-handed they are or not. Yeah. And that's true of agents, too. Like, uh, a lot of agents are editorial agents, like mine is, which is awesome, which means that she has been like giving me feedback for each revision so that it can be as strong as it as it can be before we go on submission which is when you go and send it out to editors and publishers is that like a one one chance shot when you go out to submit it to editors is you better have it as well as you want it it's a one shot for each person you're sending it to but there are a lot of publishers out there so you know Sometimes there'll be a system of like, okay, what are your very top choices? We're going to send those like, uh, maybe we're going to save those for later because you might get something called a revise and resubmit, which is when somebody reads it and they're like, I really do like this. However, there's one big glaring problem. Are you willing to rework it and then send it back to me? Which is also a gamble because you might do that. You might spend six months working on it and fixing it and sending it again. And they're like, "Mm, nah, still no. Uh, but sometimes those are great edits and somebody else will pick it up and be like, oh, I really like that element. And you'll be like, yeah, it was totally like that from the beginning. I mean, the whole thing just seems like a gamble. Yeah. Which it is because you're, it just, is. you're working it and hoping that somebody's interpretation is yeah. going to line up with it. Yeah. And then it'll click or you yeah. just go back to the drawing board. Yep. That's why, like, I really, like, I can't judge anyone who decides to do self-publishing because it's like. Obviously, why wouldn't you want to avoid all that hassle? But, you know, I want to be on shelves. So I want to be at uh, Northtown Books and whatnot. <laughs> it would help seeing it on, on an actual shelf in like a Nordstrom's, right? Yeah. Nordstrom, is that a bookstore? Did I just Barnes and Nobles. Up? Barnes and Nobles. They Nordstrom's are closed, right? Am I, I think just, so. <laughs> yeah, just, I think if it was in like a Nordstrom, a it might be a little awkward. <laughs> Barnes and Noble, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I like the idea of being a writer. I've always thought, like when I was a kid, I was like, man, it would be so cool. That and an astronaut, which neither of us have really <laughs> panned out for me yet. Oh, too bad. Yeah, but the <laughs> idea of, again, just tying back into your you're putting this thing it's this piece of you out there mm-hmm. i've always found that attractive where yeah regardless of what happens this is a part of you now it's yeah out for the public it's cool i mean yeah it's i mean it can be scary say like imagine you're writing about something super personal right like luckily i write fiction so i don't have to worry too much about that but like themes happen like themes will things you've been thinking about something that's been like bothering you or has been on your mind in a while like a lot of times that stuff just comes out in your writing and you're like oh i didn't mean to put that on the page but there it is and like turns out that's your authentic voice right like those are the themes that like needed to come out which sounds very like hippy dippy airy fairy, but well, it's got to be therapeutic in that sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because you're working through not necessarily trauma, but these things that have happened to you it in can your be. life. Yeah, or yeah, even yeah. trauma, and it's coming out in your character development. Totally. Like, pretty much every book I've written has had like a female main character becoming more empowered, <laughs> which I don't think is a coincidence. Like, that's something that's important to me. So, like, yeah. I think that's it's something I think about a lot is like, you know, coming into your own and becoming who you're meant to be and like shedding things that are holding you back and whatnot. And so like those themes, like even when I'm like, I'm not going to write about that this time. It just comes every back. time. That's what I write about. Yeah. You. So four books, fourth in progress. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty standard? I would imagine it's pretty rare for the first book you write to get picked up. Oh, God, I know someone who did, and I love her, but I hate her. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty, like, I know I know people, or I've seen, I'm part of a lot of online communities for writers and stuff, so I see a lot of publishing stories, and some people wrote eight books and queried eight books before they got an agent, you know what I mean? And like, of course, there's, like, going to be the small percentage that, like, their first book was an instant success, but I think it's pretty rare. Um the thing I like about the fact that I have a lot of ex- that I like had already written several books before getting an agent is that like those are like I said before projects that I can revisit and like now that I have somebody to send them to like who knows maybe she'll like them and those can become you know published works in the future who knows you almost have that back catalog to yeah to still work on yeah even if they're not yet at the point that like someone would want to pun- publish them like it's better than zero words you know what i mean yeah it's better than you just having the one yeah and that gets rejected oh, now i gotta start from scratch yeah they say you should always be working on your next uh project and publishing takes a really long time too even from the point where you sign a contract and you have a publishing deal it takes two years for your book to come out from that point so like you should always be working on your next project otherwise you're just gonna spend all your time being anxious and waiting and worrying how long did it take you to write your third one um i want to say the first draft was maybe six to eight months or something but that's the first draft right and then all the revisions start adding up to yeah like i think before i started querying it to to try and get an agent it was at about two years a year and a half although it's kind of funny how i got my agent because um there's this thing called Manuscript Academy. It's like a company that they have contacts with a lot of agents and a lot of editors and people who are in the industry. And you can basically like pay them to read your work and give you feedback, which is great if you don't 
you know, know anybody who's a professional who can help you out. So I had done that. I paid like a ridiculous amount of money to get somebody to look at my first 50 pages. And she gave me the feedback a couple of months later. It's like, yeah, it takes them a little bit of time. And I was really lucky that she was like, I really like this. Like when you've revised it and finished it and it's ready to be queried, like, please send it to me. I'd love to read it. So I was like, yes, awesome. Uh, So like about six months later, it was finally ready. I sent it to her and then got no response, which can happen, right? It's like we were talking about before. People get ghosted. So I was like, okay, well, how long should I wait? I don't want to bug her. I know that agents are really, really, really busy. I don't want to put pressure on her. I don't want to antagonize her. I heard different people say, like, wait, like, three months, wait six months. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to wait six months. So in the meantime, I'm sending it to all these other agents, getting all these rejections. I got a couple of, uh, couple of like, partial and full requests, which means they want to see some of it. or uh, And then they didn't pan out. And so at the six months... Mark, I was like, I'm just going to nudge her and see if she ever received my manuscript. And so I did. I emailed her. And like two days later, she responds. She's like, oh, my God, your manuscript like ended up in the wrong folder and I never saw it. I'll read it and get back to you this week. And then like a week after that, she emails me and she's like, I love your book. I would love to have a call with you. Like, let's talk, which like writers know the call is an important thing. Like you can pretty much guess what that means unless you say something stupid and offensive during the call. Like that means they're going to offer. So I was like freaking out like, Oh my God, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and how, I mean, thank God that you emailed her, right? Cause otherwise I know. you would have just been like, Oh, I could have been in her me. spam folder for like the next 10 years and I wouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a funny story. Uh, is is a manuscript just the first 50 pages of a book? Uh, or what's a manuscript? A manuscript is the book. The, the whole, whole thing. thing. Yeah. The word document <laughs> or printed. Yeah. So it's like the final draft that you have or the most current one. That you Generally, yeah. It's what you think is the final draft, which is just the most current draft. And then they say, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a few more revisions. Exactly. Yeah. So like uh, oftentimes agents, like you'll send your query letter, which is basically the pitch and like, oh, my book is similar to this book and that book. These are some of... Uh, this is like these this is the these are the stakes that are supposed to hook you. This is the character. Here's a little bit of bio, like, oh, I I had a I have a degree from the creative whatever, you know, like your little bio. Uh so that's like it's like a one-page letter, right? And you send it out, and most agents will say, please also send your first 10 pages. That way, like sometimes they'll read the query letter first and then they'll read your pages, or vice versa. But if any of those things hook you, then that's when they're going to reach out and ask for more. So they'll say either I'd like a, a partial request or um, which would be like maybe 50 pages. It depends. And then full manuscript request is like send me the entire book because they don't want to spend time reading something yeah. that's like not going to be something they want. Especially if it's like 400 pages. That's a serious investment. Yeah. Say, uh... And for debut authors like these days, they don't want you to have too long a book because they don't want to risk printing a long book that might not be successful. So if you're like, if it's your first book, like it needs to be under a certain word count. Otherwise, your chances are going to be drastically diminished. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> more stakes. Does that depend on the genre? Yeah. Fantasy is a little more forgiving. Fantasy tends to be a little bit longer, but... Even then, like, my book is fantasy, and I'm 
trying really hard to cut it down and make it a lot shorter because I know that'll increase my chances. How many pages are you at? I don't know in pages because it depends how it's printed, but the, uh, in word count, I am at how long am I? 1,000, er, 700,000. No, 7,000. I'm really bad at numbers. I was going to say 700,000 sounds like a crazy number. I'm trying to put that in there. It, it was at, it was at 18,000 and now I think it's at, is it 17,000? I don't know. I just, yeah. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it usually, so they don't, you shouldn't be more than, uh, than a hundred thousand. Yeah. I'm trying to put that into frame of reference. What would that translate? In pages? Like, so your average novel is going to be like 300 pages. So when I, I sent my manuscript off to Kinko's just so I could have a paper copy so I could like mark it up. Oh, so you printed it out for yourself. I did that one time. It was expensive. (laughs) And it was, I think like 425 pages. How much did it cost to have it printed up? <laughs> it was like 70 bucks. Oh, damn. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. Yeah, you're like, one and done. <laughs> I've learned. I thought it might, like, kick me. You know, like, I thought it might, like, help me uh, get out of my head by doing it manually. You know how sometimes writing things instead of typing things well, you, can... Having that physical copy yeah. is nice sometimes. Um, I don't know if it was really worth 70 bucks, though, to try that. <laughs> how much time... Are you dedicating? Do you break it out? Like, I want to write X amount of hours a day or yeah. a week. Um, so a lot of people would say that I am uh, not financially smart because I purposely work half time so that I can write in the afternoons. Like, that's super important to me. Um, I could work full time, but then I would have, you know, four hours less per day to work on my novel. And I would definitely not get to my goal as fast if I'm going to get to my goal at all. So. So yeah, I'm sacrificing a little bit of a paycheck in order to have time to write. I'm so impressed by people who have like 10 children and like a bazillion commitments and a full-time job and also write a novel every day at 5 a.m. Like that's insane. People do it. You like writing in the afternoon. That's when you feel the most creative. I'm just not a morning person. (laughs) I'd love to be able to write before work, uh, but my work would have to be in the afternoon because sleep is very important. (laughs) Sleep's important across the board. How many people are not getting enough sleep? Too many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think working on something consistently like that daily, where you do it in the afternoon, mm-hmm. I think that helps. I think yeah. when you take breaks, where you do a day on and then take three days off, I feel like you lose something in that. I find it really hard to get back into the headspace when I do that. And sometimes I do do that. You know, you can't be a machine and continuously be working, but yeah, it can be really hard to get back into it. When you do that. Do you, it, is there like a trick you use to try to get into your character's mindset? Um, I like surveys, like character surveys. Like sometimes the questions are totally silly. Like, uh, what's inside your character's fridge? What kind of socks are they wearing? But like sometimes even with like silly answers like that, you'll go off on a tangent and then discover all this stuff. And you're like, oh, wow. Like the, there's all these things about this character that I never would have thought of if I hadn't started with this stupid question. So. Is it hard writing in that frame of reference? Because what if you write? I mean, do you often find yourself writing a lot and then having to scrap it because it just doesn't fit into your? Yep. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> that freaks me out. A lot. The idea that you spend two weeks writing something and then yeah. realize, oh, I can't use any of this. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I 
messed up the numbers, but like I, I cut like 7,000 words from my last draft and I was just like, oh man, I don't want to think about how much this is in hours. <laughs> yeah. What is the time commitment, right? So yeah. eight months you're doing most afternoons. I mean, that, that adds up to a lot of time. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like, you know, you know, I'm I'm brainstorming and making little lists and things. It's not always necessarily me just like staring at my computer, like spewing out words. Um, but there are little tricks for productivity that like, you know, like I have a critique partner who's awesome. I have several critique partners, but the one that I talk to the most will do writing sprints where like she's like in the Midwest. Uh, but we talk to each other on Facebook Messenger a lot and we'll be like, okay, we're both going to write right now. We're starting our timer now. We're doing a 15-minute sprint. What's your goal? I want to get a 1,000 words done in that 15 minutes, maybe 7,000 or something, or 700. Uh, and I'll say my goal. She'll say her goal. We'll start the timer and then we'll go. And like honestly, like the shorter periods of time like that, the shorter sprints are really, really good for getting out of your head and just like jump-starting the words well sometimes just starting is the hardest part yeah just sitting down and actually page syndrome yeah (laughs) i mean how many people i find myself in that situation sometimes with editing the podcast where you're just sitting there looking at it like okay you're like it'll move on its own yeah if i just just sit here long (laughs) enough will it be done yeah yeah uh there's a thing in writing that uh people will ask are you a plotter or a pantser um so a plotter is somebody who like writes you know, elaborate outlines like, okay, chapter one, this happens. Chapter two, happen, uh, this happens. This is my three-act structure, you know. And then a pantser is someone who flies by the seat of their pants and they're just like, I'm just going to word vomit. And some people can make that work really, really, really well. I definitely need a little bit more structure. But my process involves a lot of freaking out as well. So I'll like have a really nice outline and then end up deviating from it, freak out, make a new outline end up deviating from that and it's like there's a lot of freaking out involved but by the end i do have a decent draft <laughs> i am definitely a pantser in 99 percent yeah, of what i do you i don't like to plan no i i just <laughs> physically can't i we'd have to write you know rough outlines in college and stuff for uh-huh, papers yeah, yeah. and i could not I'm do like, it why can't i just write it i could not do it i would just write out a whole draft yeah and then that would end up being basically my paper and they'd right. be like no you need you need to lay it out for me a little quicker and it's like yeah. I, I cannot i physically can't do that it's either all or nothing yeah i mean i think it's kind of silly to force people to do it when that's not their process like yeah, as long as they turn in the paper just totally the paper. yeah exactly but what do i know yeah <laughs> I, I guess with have you heard of chat gpt no you know, it's, what's that it is this new ai system i'm gonna butcher my explanation of this do you know what can you find like the definition of what it is it's an ai thing in <laughs> Don't feel bad. I butchered publishing. (laughs) I butcher words all the time on this podcast. (laughs) That's half the battle is just finding the right word and then not messing it up when you're speaking. (laughs) But it's this AI chat interface, I guess you could say. And professors are freaking out because kids are using it to write papers. Oh, it's writing. Okay. And it's writing really good papers. One, I read an article from one professor that was talking about it. And he said he had a student use it and turn in a paper. And he contacted the student and said, this is the best paper I've ever read. Uh-oh. How did you do this? And then the student fessed up and said, "Oh, I use this program." Really? They actually like told right? Them? Who does that? Who I guess they probably themselves? were like, "Oh, I feel so guilty." Yeah. So she narked, <laughs> and the professor it just blew his mind. He's like, "I'm gonna have to restructure my entire class because." Oh God. I guess now they want to do handwritten in class huh. essays so that you can't 
go home and use this thing. Did you find a definition for it? Not necessarily a def- definition, um, but uh, ChatGPT can be also fine-tuned. So, like, the more information that you feed it, it just pulls information everywhere, um, depending on, like, what kind of topic you're wanting to write about. Um, but to go off what you were saying, there's actually AI uh, detectors now. Now that ChatGPT has come out for two months, they have detectors so that you can see if an article's been written by AI or not. Darks. Some so kid in, I think, that was going to Harvard wrote a program for that. And all I could think of, why would you, that's like the kid in class when you're leaving and the teacher hasn't collected the homework. And then some kid says, uh, you forgot to collect the homework. Why are you sabotaging the class? Let's just, mm. let's just all get out of here. What are we doing? God, yeah. I mean, if that thing really takes off, which it sounds like it already did, like writers are screwed. I think a lot of people are screwed. (laughs) Please don't start writing novels with that because that's like my dream that you're taking away. (laughs) Do you think we would ever get to a place where that would replace a majority of writers? God, I hope not. I don't know. AI scares me. (laughs) Scares me too. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, right? Like those, uh, what's that trend with the art you know, that like yeah. the profile pictures, the AI thing and like artists are super mad about that because everyone's like, this is amazing. I love it. And they're like, well, I've worked my whole life to develop these skills. And now like you're saying this thing is better. You and know? it's crazy how good they are. Yeah, I, I mean, know, which I hate saying because I want to support artists, but like they're it's super pretty cool. good. Yeah, <laughs> it's I think we're going to be in a weird we are in a weird time. Yeah, where it's just I mean, people are using it to write code. For programming. Oh, damn. And it's insane. You could just feed it server development, like all this crazy stuff, and it just outputs what you need. Yeah. Where does that, (laughs) where do we go with that? I mean, if we don't need humans anymore, like, what's the point? (laughs) I don't want to be an android. I do. Half android. (laughs) I would be okay with that. (sighs) I just, I think it could be a good thing if we took, like, a Greek philosophical standpoint on it where we're going to use this to replace some jobs and allow people to embrace more creative aspects but are we going to go down that path or are we just going to have a lot of unemployed people because we phase them out i have no idea (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm like can't we just like live in the 80s You like the 80s? I I mean i was only alive for two years of it but best two years ever best two years Yeah. yeah good times (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It freaks me out, especially that chat GPT, because they're already coming out with another version of it here pretty quick. And they're saying it's going to be 10 times better like, at what it does. God, I mean, if it can write a super amazing, convincing college paper, like, why not a novel? It would so. be interesting to see what it would come up with. For no- I mean, obviously, you could feed it whatever you want, but yeah, I don't know how it would do writing 400 pages is Compared to, like, a 10-page essay. Yeah, it might be hard to come up with original ideas if it sources from materials that already exist, right? Although, you know, no idea is original, so... (laughs) Do you believe in that? You think everything stems from something else? I think inspiration comes from everywhere. Like, your, your ideas have to come from somewhere, right? But... I think it's just like the way you tell something uniquely is going to be different from the way someone else tells it, even if it's essentially the same story, you know? So I have heard that, oddly enough, a lot of stories stem from the Bible in one way or another, that it's just like some rephrasing and we we're changing it, but a lot can be traced back to that one story. It's a big like collection of source material, so it wouldn't surprise me, you know, like in Greek myths as well. Yeah. 
I mean, I think a lot of people drive or even just like a theme that maybe is found in the Bible, but is also found in like a million other things, you know, like it's there are only so many themes. I don't know if you've heard of like the monomyth, like Joseph Campbell. He has this idea of that there is only one story, the hero's journey, and it has different steps. And it's about a person trying to achieve a thing. They meet certain mentors along the way and then they achieve the thing and then life is forever different. And he argues that basically every story is that story, but a different like version with different details, which I think is interesting. I don't know. Maybe there are exceptions. Uh, there are plenty of videos on YouTube where you'll type in like Hero's Journey Disney and it will show you how every Disney film has like the exact same plot points just like told in various different ways. I think I've heard that in reference to Star Wars, too. Yeah, that's one of the Hero's examples yeah. that they cite a lot. Yeah. Well, if it's a good idea. The idea that wouldn't recycle or be repurposed in a different way is kind of crazy. Like people love adapting things and yeah. trying to carry it forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people still find ways to be surprised. I think the movie industry needs a little bit of help with finding some original things these days. That would but, be nice. Uh, I think in literature, like there are plenty of like seemingly new ideas that maybe are inspired by previously existing things, but they're still holding people's attention. People are still flipping pages, and you know, or listening because audiobooks are also books <laughs> do you do you not like audiobooks do you no think i like fit them. in well okay yeah yeah i like them i used to think it was kind of cheating to be like oh i read like 10 books this month but nine of them were audiobooks uh but i've sort of changed my mind about that yeah i'd imagine some people are sticklers to no you need to read yeah, but, like, that's kind of, that's not super inclusive. Like, say you have, like, you're blind or something. Does that mean, like, you can't read? Like, I mean, well, I could technically. I don't know. <laughs> He's looking at me like, well, yeah, oh, yeah it does. You, made a point. you can read Braille. Uh, no, I think, I think it counts. Mm. Yeah, you're still ingesting words. Yeah. And how many people are busy doing things and the ease of access yeah putting in a set of headphones i yeah. think that's why podcasts are so popular you can just totally i'm addicted headphones. to podcasts <laughs> yeah and it's because you don't really have to think super hard about it you're just consuming the information yeah also if you're a person like me who works from home and like doesn't get out much except for when they do improv it's like oh my friends are in my ears that's so nice <laughs> especially if you listen to the same ones yeah all the you time. get attached to them yeah you yeah that same voice like, oh start. so-and-so is doing that funny joy joke again you know yeah it's almost like reading in that sense where you're kind of just enveloped in their space like yeah, they're feeding yeah. into your brain yeah yeah, something creepy about it, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting time for everything, for everything. Yeah. You got ChatGPT. You've also got Audible. Yeah, I think my life goal is just to infiltrate as many brains as possible. I've just decided that. I think I think that's a pretty good goal. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Am I an goal. evil genius? We'll see. <laughs> I guess it depends on the. Once we read the book, then we can make a judgment call and yeah. say, okay, yeah, maybe this is skewing a little dark. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> do you is it a happy book uh it has a no spoilers but it has a happy ending uh okay. yeah i mean there are definitely dark things that happen in it but it's about somebody coming out of that and uh overall uplifting yeah yeah okay well i'm excited I'll, i will definitely check it out when I, if when and if hopefully if, <laughs> if yeah I know, big if it, it comes out well I mean, i'm definitely closer to it coming out than i was a couple months ago so which is good and congratulations on getting the agent that's, thank you I think that's an awesome style Thanks. Yeah, she's she's cool. Like, it's good to find someone that you're like, okay, this person, their values are in line with with mine. So, fingers crossed. Feels like a good fit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Well, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, Laura, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate talking with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll have to do it again once your book comes out. For sure. Yeah. Exclusive. uh... (laughs) Yeah. Exclusive interview. (laughs) Totally. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find all your stuff? Yes. How do I do that? Mm, Do I want to give you my website? Because it's got some old, outdated stuff on there. Um... Yeah, let's do it. LaraHenderson.com. L-A-R-A-H-E-N-E-R-S-O-N. Everyone thinks there's a U in my name and a D in my last name. Henderson, yeah. Laura Henderson. Oh, I get so annoyed. Anyways, that's my website. Do you want to plug? Do you have any socials you want to plug? Uh, I would say people should just check out the Exit Theater in Arcata. It's on G Street above the mattress store. It's new. A lot of people don't know about it yet, but there's some fun plays going on, and that's where I do my improv. So, and can they still sign up for your improv? Yeah, class? yeah. It doesn't start till this coming Monday, so I don't know when you're releasing this. This, but... is, this is out right now. This is live. Hey, there you go. <laughs> is that is the information to sign up also on your site, or do they have to go to the exit? All theater? they have to do is email me. Yeah, which is what's my address? Uh, improv dot with dot Lara at gmail.com there we go (laughs) okay well laura really thank you yeah thanks this is awesome